that the main purpose of leadership is to minimise human threat response in the environment in which you're curating. My third piece of advice is you have to have a mindset and an obsession with developing capability in your team. You have to create environments that people want to turn up to. Hello and welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. My name is Chris Meredith. And my name's Paul Fairweather. And Chris and I are on a mission to unlock the discussion about creativity in life and business through the lens of idea stories and visual cognition. And this week's guest is Steve Sharp, the workplace whisperer. Now, he doesn't bring horses into work. He helps ordinary people in the workplace uh, become more creative, work together better, particularly as a team. And we were fascinated to find out how businesses can build a culture where people feel safe to contribute and feel confident to share their ideas and do better things. Paul, what, what, what do you think? Well, Chris, I, I found it um, enlightening and inspiring. Steve had a very successful role at a very young age in banking as a leader of hundreds of people, five or 600, he said. Yet, you know, there was something missing for him and he looked up the, up the ladder and he went, you know, I want to do something different. And so he started the work he does where he calls himself uh, the culture curator. Um, I think really interesting. And, and whilst he talked a lot about creativity and connection, you know, he did, he did sort of mention some things that seemed to be at odds at some of the things that we yep. understood around creativity and we asked him to unpack it. And it was, it was great to get that different perspective because we, we tend to yeah. be a little bit channeled in our thinking about these are the main things. And so it's great to have someone that, that challenges us. So, so if you're listening, stay listening through to the end where you'll hear about the benefits of stress. <laughs> Let's get him yeah. in. Right. Steve Sharp, a huge welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Great to see you again. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Yeah, Steve, great to uh, meet you and have you on the podcast. Now, Steve, um, it says culture creator on, on a board that's right behind you. I can see a but you're also known as the workplace whisperer. Now, it's not that it's not a job title that, that many people have. I'd love to hear what. How is it that you? What? What? Tell us through your journey and how you came to become the culture creator slash workplace whisperer. Sure, sure. So, uh, born and raised in the wonderful Brisbane, Queensland. I um, I I, I grew up a normal normal child existence um, and found my way into. Uh, retail banking. So I finished school, did the, the usual thing, uh, worked, plugged my way through u uh, university. And at the time I was actually working in, in construction, I was, I was the head batcher at a, at, a concrete, um, at a concrete manufacturing plant. Um, and I was doing three subjects in my last semester of uni, needed time off. So I was kind of do I continue to work and potentially fail you know, a subject? Um, and so I went to my boss there and said, uh, can I have three, three weeks off? I've just got to finish uni and then I'll be back. Uh, he said no. And so I rang my uh -huh. cousin who was a branch manager at Suncorp and said, can you get me a job in four weeks at the bank? And he goes, yeah. So I started as a teller um, in retail banking. So I really just fell into it. Um, 
and from there I, I, I managed to claw my way up um, claw my way up the ladder uh, in in various positions uh, and what I think one of the turning points or one of the proudest moments of my career is is I won the Young Executive of the Year Award, uh, which was an Australian Financial Review Boss Magazine Award in 2012. Um, because at the time I was pretty young, so I was I was a an executive leader in banking and a young one. Uh, so I certainly came up against the biases around who's this who's this green guy, you know, <laughs> running these things. So, Stevie, by, by rights, you should be a banking executive, and you're not. Tell us about what takes you from banking into being the culture curator. Yeah, so my final role was, run, was running the branch network for uh, a large credit union, um, which was, so I had about five or 600 people, about 65 branches. And I got to that point in my career, and, and to be honest, I looked up and I thought to myself, is that the type of work that I want to be doing uh, for the rest of my career, uh, and and it certainly wasn't. And I'd gone through uh, a number of experiences in my career uh, where I had you know fantastic leaders, but I also had a number of experiences where I had the privilege of learning from leaders' behaviour of what not to do. Uh, <laughs> and so that that kind of inspired me uh, to to take the to have the courage to take the leap out uh, and build a career uh, that I'm doing now, which is helping organisations and people understand workplace environments uh, and create ones that people actually want to turn up to and 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 give of themselves. So, St- Steve, tell us more about that because one of the observations that I've certainly had, I think almost anybody that's been in the workplace, is it's a, a strange thing happens when you go to work, which, which is that for many people it's okay to be a complete bastard it's different rules apply at work and you don't have to treat other people as ordinary human beings and it's just nuts but why does that happen in the workplace why can't we be normal at work <laughs> why can't we be normal i think there's there's a there's a myriad of reasons but one of the reasons that i think and from my own personal experience is is when people get into positions of authority, uh, they they misconstrue role authority with power, and because we we humans are tribal in nature, so we're pack animals, uh, and we're hierarchical in nature, and so we've survived on this planet for all these years uh, because of that, because we've been able to collaborate uh, and create teams of people and 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 problem solve together. However, given our, our hierarchical nature, uh, when, when people get into those positions, uh, they believe that they have to act in a certain way or do certain things, or quite frankly, the, the authority and responsibility of leadership gets to their head, uh, mm. and they think that their behavior uh, doesn't matter and that they can treat people the way um, that they want to treat them. Rather than how they should, and is this things? Are things getting better or worse in that respect? How, I mean, I'm thinking the workplace has changed hugely in the last three or four years. The pandemic, working remotely, all those things, AI coming on the horizon. Yeah, how are things changing at the moment? Are we getting back to being normal? Are we going more into the world of being power hungry 
animals. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of couple of ways to look at this. If you look over the last 20 years, uh, and particularly in the last 10, I think generally uh, workplaces are getting better because people are becoming much more aware. There's increased knowledge and understanding uh, around the importance of the workplace environment uh, and and what real leadership is. So I think if you look at, at, at our development of workplaces and leadership capability on a global scale, I think we're getting much better. And, and, and the stats that, that um, Gallup put out recently, so Gallup's a, a large global company that specialises in measuring and researching employee engagement. Um, in the Australian and New Zealand uh, workplaces, we've actually seen an increase of about 6% in, in people who are loving their workplace. Uh, oh. and so we, we, we are seeing, we are seeing an increase. Um, and if you layer on top of that, the energy and effort that organizations are now putting into things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, the, the rise of, of the concept of psychological safety and people's interest in understanding it and how to develop it and how to curate it. In environments, I think we are getting better. I think what's working against that um, is is now it's how do we do all of this stuff in a hybrid workplace? So yes. it's it's much simpler for people to understand how to curate environments where people are in the environment face to face because you have that level of interaction. You have the informal chats and conversations that you can't have virtually and so now i think what people are grappling with is is how do we create human connection and collaboration and clarity uh when my work when i see my work workforce once or twice a week or in a lot of teams we get together once every three months um wow and and i think that's what people are grappling with now so steve i want to unpack that a little bit further uh in terms of you know how you do that because i really interested and if you cracked it then then uh you know (laughs) you're obviously very much in demand but i just wanted to you know the thing that's sort of come about because of this work from home phenomena you know it seems to be that some of the things that you were talking about about the improvement of workplace and has gone too far you know like that people go well you know i i've got my i've got my rights you know (laughs) Yes. Have yes. you seen you know, and you know, like, and I and I don't have to go to work, but I want to go to work, you know. So it's sort of it's changed the balance, you know. And there's obviously positive sides of it, but there's also you know, you read in the media, there's a lot of negative sides. Have you seen any of that in in you know the workplaces that you're working with, whether it's hybrid or not hybrid, where it's gone, it's tipped too far the other way, you know. There's they, the people, the leaders are losing control because everyone's got you know got their own say. Yeah, well, it's certainly it, it's it's certainly a benefit that organisations must provide for them to be in the game of attracting talent. Um, so if 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 you're an employer and you don't have a work from home policy or you don't have something where it says in this role you can work X amount of days from home, uh, then I can tell you what your competitor down the road does, and they're going to get the talent because people expect it now. Yes. Um, do I think it's gone too far? I think people's 
view on this is very definite and I see it all the time. I see, you know, leaders say, you know, I've, I've, I've got this new person starting and they're expecting to work from home three days a week when they don't even know the role. They should be in the office five <laughs> days a week until they know the role. Then you've got the employees saying, well, if I don't get three, three days at home, then I'm going to find a job somewhere else. And yeah, people's views tend to be rock solid. Working from home works. Don't take it away from us. Or, you know, working from home four days a week kills productivity and people need to be in the office and those types of things. To be honest, uh, and, and it might seem like a bit of a grey answer, but I think there is a balance uh, what I would say, though, is um, any more than than three days working from home, uh, I think will have a material impact on team collaboration, team problem solving, team creativity, team innovation. Um, my sweet spot, and this is my personal view, is is three days in in the office and two days from home. Yeah. Um, because I think if you go back to our genesis and our DNA and what drives us as as an animal, we are pack animals. Yeah, we are tribal in nature. We are hierarchical in nature. We have survived on this planet and we thrive when we feel deep connection to other humans and we collaborate to solve problems. Yeah. So... So, Chris, I, I, I'm I'm really interested in that. I think that's a you know a, a great uh, insight, and certainly one I pack that about the creativity in the culture. And it just brings me to think about culture, because um, one one of my clients, uh, BDO, um, in, in and they're in Brisbane, and they're obviously an international part of an international group in Brisbane and Sydney. They are moving office and going to a larger office. Okay, there's another group that I've been involved with, which I won't mention. They're another international firm. They've gone in Brisbane from five floors to one floor. Yeah. Because they've said, we're just hot desking. We've only got desks for uh, uh, 20% of the staff. Um, so what is it about those cultures, you know, that, that you see that, you know, I haven't looked at those two and go, what's in it? But what, what's in those cultures that makes the attraction that BDO can go, we're growing, we're all in the office. They're all in the office. You know, that's why they need more space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as opposed to you know these other people, and who knows what will happen in the end. But is there something in about the culture of some, somewhere like BDO that has uh, been able to achieve that? Well, I think the, the the critical issue is when you when you look back at this is you have to create environments that people want to turn up to. So the, you have to create an environment where someone says, "Yeah, I could work from home today," and do all these types of things, but I'd much prefer to go in the office because X, Y, Z. And it's not typically be because you've got bean bags or I can play table tennis yeah. or they've got free coffee. <laughs> it's because, you know, the rest of my team are in there and we're solving this problem and I want to go grab a coffee with so-and-so and I want to go see that client. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, so I think I, I the, the, the to me, the magic for organisations to get people back in the office is creating an environment that actually gets them up and on the train or on the bus or in the car um, to come into that environment. So can, can, we, can we get into how you, let's imagine there's a company out there 
they they want people to collaborate better. They want more innovation, agile, come all that kind of stuff. And the temptation to jump on your emails. And from now on, this is what we're going to do. Tuesday to Thursday, everyone's got to come here. And of course, there'll be a bit of a riot because everyone will go, well, I can't. So I walked a cat that day or whatever it might be. Yeah. How do you achieve that in practice? How do you get people to say, yeah, I want to come in and do that without getting out a big stick and hitting people? Yeah, so so some of the things I've seen are people creating team days. So an entire team or an entire department comes in to the office on the same day uh, and they have uh, social events or they plan specific brainstorming sessions or collaboration sessions. Um, I've seen uh, one organisation or a, a, a fairly large department of one of the big four banks um, uh, call, call their Thursdays problem sol- a solving day, right? And so, the, oh, okay. so the mission is is that the entire department of this area of the bank comes in uh, and there's structured meetings and interactions around specified problems that they're trying to solve. And so I think bringing structure, I think, and, and, and this is a really interesting thing about human creativity and human innovation, uh, is sometimes I think people get caught up with, you know, to, to create an environment where people can be creative, they've got to have full autonomy and this level of freedom to, to expand their mind and do all these types of things. It's, it, it, it's in fact the opposite. What, what we humans need is clarity and structure and understanding the boundaries in which we can operate clearly and agree on them it's only then can we be free in our thinking because if we are uncertain and we are not clear or we or we feel like the, the level of autonomy we got is too small, i.e. we're feeling more micromanaged or we don't understand the boundaries in which we're operating in too much autonomy, right? then we go into threat mode. And when the human brain is in threat mode, it's being, it's being controlled by its limbic system which is the primitive brain, which is fight or flight. And so all our brain is focused on in those moments is the threat, which the, the, the threat of not knowing or the threat of feeling micromanaged, um, which then builds anxiety. Uh, and so if we don't have that structure and that clarity, our threat response can't relax and our prefrontal cortex, problem-solving, creative, innovative yeah. brain, can't be in control of us. Great to hear you reference the the way the human brain works. That's Paul and I are kind of learning so much about the different parts of the brain and the fact that this isn't accidental or this isn't a, there's actual genuine science behind this stuff. And it's up to us as knowledge workers to be experts in getting your brain fit for different kinds of tasks. Yeah, and I always say the you know if you break it up and and what I try and do for my clients and audiences is how do I make this stuff so practical so doable and understandable because it can be concepts of trust and environments and psychological safety are airy fairy big concepts right but if we think about leadership and if we say a leader's role is to curate an environment in which people want to turn up to and choose to give their discretionary effort discretionary effort creativity innovation problem solve then the main purpose of leadership is to minimize human threat response in the environment in which you're curating. Because if people come to work 
and their threat response or their threat brain is asleep but because it doesn't have to be on so they feel safe then their prefrontal cortex will be in full control of them which means that's where the freedom of creativity and problem solving and innovation that's where it comes from so how do you minimize threat response is the question and let me let me bounce that question that's exactly what i'd love to hear more about is how do you minimize human because i mean i'm thinking you know we're a business we've got targets to hit me we've got customer satisfaction we can't have this kind of weird human theory how do you do it in practice (laughs) provide people with bean bags and teach the meditation (laughs) (laughs) flip charts yeah colorful post-it notes that always helps yeah maybe some herbal tea So the concept, the concept of psychological safety is is what is what leaders must understand now and into the future if they are going to be effective. Um, and psychological safety has been around for a while. It started in the nineteen seventies, um, but it was modernised by a lady by the name of Amy Edmondson, who wrote a book called *The Fearless Organisation*. Um, And she stumbled across it back in the early 2000s. So she was studying the behavior or researching the behavior of emergency nurses, so ER nurses. Uh, And what she noticed in one of her observations, which kind of led her down this path, was uh, an emergency nurse in surgery witnessing the surgeon doing something wrong to the person and not saying anything. Yeah. Right, and so, and the reason she didn't say anything was in fear of punishment, embarrassment, or humiliation from the surgeon. So here we have a hierarchical relationship of the status of surgeon is far above, you know, the lowly nurse. And so, therefore, even though there's a human being here that he or she is doing something wrong to, I'm not going to say anything. Um, and so that's where she started to delve into this concept of psychological safety. And psychological safety is the root cause of human engagement in anything, anywhere, anytime with anyone. So we have to feel a sense of psychological safety in an environment for our threat brain to calm down and our prefrontal cortex to go bananas in complex problem solving, innovation, collaboration, connection, those types of things. And so... At its very core, if you do not understand what psychological safety is, what we need to feel it, and then how to curate an environment where the majority of the time people have a sense of psychological safety, because it's not going to be all the time, um, then then I don't think you're going to be an effective leader going into the future. But, but so let's come back to the, the cure. Let's imagine you're that surgeon giving operations surrounded by nurses, other people, what kinds of things could that surgeon do to make it okay for the people around to say, actually, hang on a second, maybe that's a mistake. Although, how would a leader yep. enable their team to be safe? Sure. So number one, and it starts here, and it will end here if they don't do this correctly, is establish <laughs> connections, right? If, if you're a team, whether you're a team in a contact center or a team in an emergency room, uh, the, the team that are undertaking that work have to have a strong connection to each individual in that team. And the, the, the key connection here is the leader 
to each of the team members. And if you think about it, um, if you don't, if if someone called you, Paul, and asked you a favour and you didn't have a connection with them, what would go through your head? <laughs> what, 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 who? Yeah, what, what? yeah. Versus someone who you? you do have a strong connection with, reasons says, "Hey, Paul, I desperately need need a favour." You're going to go, "Yeah, absolutely." So that's number one connection. Um, so the surgeon should be walking into surgery, knowing that there's a high level of trust and connection between he or she, the surgeon, and every single person in that room playing a different role. Number two is you need to provide clarity. Yeah, uncertainty is kryptonite to the human brain. Because the, the main job of our brain in all of its complexity and all the stuff we don't know about it yet, what we do know is its job is to keep us alive, right? That's why when we receive stimulus, the first place it goes to is our threat response. And so what it's doing is it's always trying to predict an environment we're walking into to be safe or not so it can prepare us. And so, and, and, and clarity is not a set and forget thing. So clarity, you know, in, in the chaos of life if you have a team meeting on a monday morning with your team and you don't talk to them till friday yeah then you're not providing clarity and you're not making sure that you're on the same page with people and then the third one is my third piece of advice is you have to have a mindset and an obsession with developing capability in your team members um and developing capability is it making sure that they've got you know professional development plans and that's part of it but in every single interaction you have to be asking yourself how do i develop this person's capability because what we do know for you know the last probably decade in the top five reasons people leave jobs is is lack of career progression lack of skill development lack of all those types of things and so Having a mindset around how do I continue to develop the capability of each of my people every single day is absolutely critical to building loyalty, uh, uh, creating motivation and creating an environment that I want to actually turn up to because it's creating value for me. Steve, I, I love those three things but and I understand and you sort of clarified it a little bit earlier when you said that you know for creativity you need clarity, structure. Uh, and boundaries, but you also said that like uncertain uncertainty is a kryptonite. Um, uh, I'm going to take you to task. This is what Chris normally does. He normally takes the uh, guest to task. That's the question I was about <laughs> to ask. Paul, so you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, in creativity, uh, and you know, we've had a lot of neuroscientists on. Oh. Think that basically, you know, to come up with a creative solution, you have to be in uncertainty yep. for a period of time. And so, and I think this is a, you know, it's a dichotomy, you know, it is a conflicting thing because, you know, people want clarity, you know, but at the same time, if we want people to be creative, we've got to actually put them into a level of uncertainty, which comes with an anxiety, but that's part and parcel with stepping into the unknown. So, um, and and you've mentioned creativity quite a few times. Uh, How how do you think that that fits that, that thing of the creative process where you have to be anxious? Yeah, same so when I talk about uncertainty, it's not necessarily about uncertainty of the future in terms of if I'm if I'm in in banking and the markets are going pear shaped, or I'm in construction and other construction companies are folding and 
and what are we going to do about it? That's that's a level of uncertainty. Um, and I think you do need that to really push the thinking of people and really start to come up with creative solutions to 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 today's problems where we don't know the answer. Where I'm talking about uncertainty is in the tribalness of human behavior. And what I mean by that is, is if I'm not clear on the on the standards and the behaviors and what's acceptable and what's not in my team environment, then I'm gonna be my brain's gonna be more worried about that than me using my prefrontal cortex to solve problems that no one knows the answer to. And so let me give you an example of that. Um, if if there aren't clear clear boundaries and standards around how we operate as a team and I have a leader that's my best mate on Monday, uh, quite aggressive and frustrated on Tuesday, a sad, passive-aggressive person on Wednesday, uh, and so on and so forth, then then I'm going to be more concerned about what I'm getting from he or, he or she today than I am about solving the problem that we need to solve that's going to save the company or make it billions of bucks. And so creating certainty yep. and clarity and boundaries around how we operate as a team, what behaviours are acceptable, what behaviours aren't, how we solve problems, how we deal with conflict, how we debate and get diverse views, how we go about all that. If I know all of that, right, and then I see it and understand it, I don't have to worry about it. So I can focus on the problem we're trying to solve versus whether Mary's going to embarrass me in this meeting or not because she did last time and we haven't resolved that conflict. Yeah, no, that's that's great, actually. That makes that makes a, a, a lot of sense, and thanks for clarifying that. Um, actually, I just wanted to share a little tool. I don't know if you know it uh, that I got years ago from a mob in New York called SY Partners. Yep. It's called the Duo du, Duo tool, and so what it's like it's like a, a flower, uh, and there's a you know a thing in the center, and then a series of lines that go out, and a series of circles the outside. And what everyone does is puts themselves in the middle, and then each one of their team members on the outside. And then you look at each one of those lines, and if it's broken, it's a broken line. If it's yep. good, it's single, and if it's great, it's a double line. Yeah. And the ob- the job of every person is to make all their lines at least least a single, uh, a single if mm. not double. Yeah. Um, which I think is was what you're talking about is about that one to one connection because we think of yep. teams as under six soccer teams, you know, where they're all you know moving together yep. around the field, but in reality. You know, a proper team spreads out, and it's all about passing to individuals, and so it's that connection. So, yeah. I, I love that insight. That number one is really strong for me. Yeah, it's very interesting, Steve. You talked. I think it makes perfect sense that if people have connections, if they have a sense of bonding between them, then they trust each other. Then it's okay to experiment. It's okay to problem solve together. And there's a very interesting moment before we press record on this exact recording. I think you and Paul were chatting. It turns out you happened to go to the same school together. And I, I, I think it's really interesting that that wasn't planned. It was just happened that you came on the call a bit earlier in this conversation. And in a way, that, that sort of set the tone for this whole conversation, that accidental piece of bonding. Maybe if we just dived into the into the recording, we'd be going, so, Stephen, your CB said, you know, we would be having a very different kind of chat. So it, it just endorses that... This happens in strange and subtle ways, this idea of connection, and it's not something you can overlook. No, and it's it's shared experience. 
And that's what, mm. you know, with all of the programs that I run on, on workplace environments and team development, one of the most critical aspects is um, providing, providing people with shared experience and so experiential activities. So, so when I run a, re- a leadership retreat, um, I put people through a high ropes course or a ridiculous orienteering thing through the bush or something something that's that's quite challenging that forces people into a team environment and solve problems. And invariably, the thing that they talk about the most and the feedback I get the most from those types of experiences is is I feel part of a tribe now. Yes. You know, we all we all went we all did the high ropes course where, you know, we were all crapping our dacks and we encouraged us to get through. I mean, I had one where, where the people who were on the retreat didn't really know each other at the beginning, right, and were hugging each other and and um, making plans to catch up and all those types of things because because they had a really uh, uh, quite an intense and stressful shared experience which which binds people together. And, and, and is that important? That that so intense and strength is that? I can think of exact a very similar story in my own experience. We went through a quite adverse thing together, and we came out as a strong tribe. Is is that important? In other words, you can't just have a Monday morning meeting and say, "Like, what did you do at the weekend? Very interesting. Now let's get down to business." Yeah. So that doesn't count. You actually have to put yourself out there a bit. Is is that true? Yes, yes. I think I I, I think leadership is is creating opportunities for your people to test themselves in a team environment. Uh, and when I look back at all the great experiences that I had throughout my career, my most fondest is where I found myself in a leadership position in a, in a bit of chaos or in a bit of crisis or with a problem to solve. Uh, and, and we did it as a team, um, which then creates opportunities to celebrate and recognize each other and all those types of things, which from a neuroscience perspective, creates sh- shots of dopamine, right? And our brain loves reward systems. And so if we're, if we're providing environments where there's dopamine shots constantly, then naturally, biologically, we're gonna be drawn back to that environment because it feels good. Um, so I think that's really important. So the metaphor I figure was the kind of the, the sergeant major. I've never been in the armed services, by the way, but but the sergeant major, the the one that pushes the squad, says, you know, we can do this a bit faster. We're going to stick together, even though there's somebody lagging behind. There, there will be some pain on the way, but you're going to come out super fit, high performance people. As a, I'm, I'm thinking about that from the point of view of a business leader, that in a way, the promise is, I I, I am going to stress you a bit. I am going to push you a bit. Uh, but that journey is worth it. And yes. if we just get by, if we do okay, that ain't going to give you the boat opening shot. That's not going to build us as a team. Yeah, it's and it's that interaction because, you know, leaders can build very psychologically safe environments and people love them because they don't have to do anything. I love coming to work. My, I have the greatest leader and I love my team and everything. And it's so good because we don't have to do anything. Yeah, that's called comfortable. That's not going to win any race. And so it's about, yeah. as a leader, is how do you create an environment where there's high psych safety and high accountability, yeah, yeah. where, where people are holding each other accountable, 
yeah, and there is stress. There is stress, and we we don't we humans don't get anything done without stress. Yeah, we have to feel a sense of stress and a bit of a challenge for us to get out of bed and and do anything. Behavior change is so difficult because you know it, it forces us into stress mode. And so, as a leader, and one of the sayings I have is, "Your positivity attracts potential." And so, and what I mean by that is, I mean not toxic positivity, not coming into work skipping every day and saying why are you all mopey you should be so grateful because the <laughs> life is beautiful uh, and not having any anchoring to reality but productive positivity is when when there is stress and when there is chaos and people are starting to go into negative emotion which is threat response it, it, it's saying hey hey guys i know it's tough at the moment empathy i know it's tough it's frustrating the hell out of me we could sit around for another tw- 20 minutes and talk about it and it will still be the same or it's one o'clock in the afternoon why don't we think about the three things that we need to get done between now and 5 p.m so we can go home to our families feeling like we achieved what we needed to achieve in the context of today productive positivity fantastic chris um steve i'm i'm um I'm a little bit stressed because uh <laughs> we've, i've got to i've got to bring this to a close unfortunately yeah, yeah. i'm uh but you know we we picked those boxes and and I can uh, I can close this by knowing that we've uh, got some an amazing insights and stories out of you. Um, so just before we do close, is there any sort of final word that you'd like to give our listeners as you know one tip on you know wh- whatever it might be? My one tip is always start at the foundation, and that's and that's connection. Um, analyze and assess the connection you have between the people that you need for you, for yourself to be successful whether that's at work or at home and if and if there's an issue with those connections then you must act you have to do that something tests. about it because even if the issue is small now if you do nothing about it the issue will grow and so Fantastic. act now foster your connections nurture your connections and have that as a priority as a human being in any facets of life. Steve, you've, you've helped me reframe this whole podcast that we kind of we put ourselves under a bit of pressure for 30 minutes to get insights about creativity and workplace culture. We've got, I think we've achieved more than the three things that we... It's been brilliant chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it, uh, I feel privileged to be on the mm-hmm. podcast. So thanks for the invite, Chris and Paul. Love your work. You know, fantastic. It was great to uh, have you and great to make that connection should I say. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, there you go, Chris. And uh, yeah, look, as you said, mind you, I must say that we were at the same school 40 years, oh, 20 years, sorry, apart. Uh, But, but gents, we did go to the same school for a period of time. That's great. That that proof that that connection happens, we didn't plan that, but it was so important to establish that little bond and to, to build a platform for a great conversation. Uh, I learned so much. I mean, I, I learned about uh, the benefits of stress. Um, I, I, the quote that kept coming through my mind is that idea of the freedom of a tight brief, that if, if you clearly define what you're trying to achieve, then there's a freedom that unlocks creativity. I think that's a really interesting Yeah, take-out. look, I think you had lots of interesting takeouts. And, and you know, it is unfortunate. Um, this was our, you know, full episode. But, you know, we do like to keep them around half an hour for you, the listener. And we know some very famous people that have podcasts up to three hours long. 
Um, and I'm sure that we could have easily gone the three hours with Steve. He had such Absolutely. great insights uh, into his experiences and his thinking about uh, workplace culture. And, you know, we only really touched on this thing about, you know, hybrid and work from home. And so there's so much more there to unpack. So, uh, yeah, so look, uh, it was great to make that connection with Steve. Um, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a, a rating or a review. Uh, and more importantly, Chris, what's the other thing that listeners can do for us? Tell your friends, uh, refer a friend, get them to listen to the Congregate Podcast. It helps our guests get the message out there. And it helps spread the word about creativity and work through ideas, stories, and visual cognition. So hope you enjoyed that episode. Please join us for next week's episode of the Common Creative Podcast. See you then. Ciao.